Hello and welcome to episode 79 of For Christ's Sake Hanukkah. I'm your host, Matthew Neugebauer, coming to you on this May 25th, 2021. Yes, that's right, it is May 25th, the 44th anniversary of Star Wars Episode 4, A New Hope, the 38th anniversary of Star Wars Episode 6, Return of the Jedi, and the 3rd anniversary of Solo, A Star Wars Story. All great times to rejoice and remember all three wonderful films. Yes, I mean that. It's also the Tuesday after uh, the Pentecost Sunday, or Tuesday in the octave of Pentecost, if you're counting. And it's also Towel Day, which, uh, for a good shout-out to those uh, fans of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, do you know where your towel is? <laughs> uh, on a more somber note, it is also the one-year anniversary of the murder of George Floyd by Derek Chauvin, and may we continue to remember his name, the name of Breonna Taylor, and all those who have been murdered by police brutality. May every story we tell, every podcast we record work towards reconciliation and hope, uh, healing for the African-American community, for the American community, and for the human family. So on that note, let's dive into the pull list as promised. The uh, uh, Every every week I'm going to talk about War of the Bounty Hunters, and uh, this week was actually Bounty Hunters number 12. And I'm glad I've kept with this series because... Of course, now it's really coming to play a part in uh, in the wider comic story in this great crossover event. This issue, I appreciate the way Baylor's uh, history with Han Solo is going to play a part in his task. Probably help the rebels retrieve him or find him. I don't know how that's going to play in, but his history in this comic of how, you know, or at least in the Tie Fighter comic, how he or Han came back to save his life when they were cadets at the Carida Academy. And now uh, Maillard has the opportunity to return the favor, and that is a nice bit of moral development, moral character development for Baylor's character, um, as we've seen him connecting with the Rebel Alliance a little more. Now he's still an independent bounty hunter, but one just like Han, one with a bit more of a, a moral core to him. I got to say, I was a little confused by some parts of this comic. The beginning, it was just kind of strange how the the hot gang that he's with, they say, go into the bar and earn some credits, and it wasn't clear who the mark was. Um, if you weren't entirely clearly following, it wasn't very clear when the flashbacks were to another period and Baylor and Han's story when they first interacted after Baylor is turned into a cyborg. Um, it wasn't clear when that flashback was happening versus the, the quote-unquote present day. So that was kind of strange, and um, hopefully things are going to be cleared more clear going forward. Comics, it's a medium where it really helps to think through what is being communicated when and how. It's one of those things because it's a multiple-layer medium of both text and image. How is it being read? How is it being perceived? And most of the time, uh, comics like this, including this run by Ethan Sachs, has actually been pretty well presented, but sometimes I can find myself scratching my head. So I'm going to keep sticking with it. Um, and yeah, see what is in store next week in War of the Bounty Hunters. I believe 
not too sure. I believe maybe the Darth Vader issue comes out tomorrow. I could be wrong about that, but uh, we'll see next week what happens. But for this week, we have, as promised, the long-awaited interview with, with my friend Din from F105. It's a longer episode, so it's a, because it's a longer interview, usually when I have a guest on, it does go long. So, uh, I mean, long for, for this podcast, but it's only about an hour long interview. Go in, we go in depth and we go through, through his career a little bit, his vocation, I should say, and, uh, his, his perspectives and views on things in terms of spirituality and the force and the Star Wars story and our own connection to the real universe and real galaxies. I should say, um, I'll put it this way. His, his views are in dialogue with the Christian tradition. They're in dialogue with lots of other traditions as well, as you will hear. And so it was an exciting interview. We will, you'll hear uh, his song coming home outer space off of his new album, F one Oh five two side B. And so we go into all of that. So without further ado, Din from F one Oh five. So as promised, we've got Din here from F105 Music. Um, and if you have mentioned mentioned this a few times before, if you listen to the end of this podcast, you'll hear the wonderful Guardians of the Wills suite from the Rogue One soundtrack. And that was Din's suggestion to put that in. It's really wonderful, fits perfectly with what we do here at FCSA. He also did the intro for the Star Wars Underworld, used the guitar part there. And Rebel Force Radio, if you listen to them, uses an eponymous song called Rebel Force Radio as their intro. Of course, he's trained as a visual artist and now primarily is in his musical garb, as as I mentioned, as F-105. Din, how are you doing these days? Uh, I'm pretty good. You know, I just thought of something that I've never really told people before, but I went to art school to get good at music. Nice. <laughs> because... All the, you know, John Lennon went to art school, David Bowie. Mm-hmm. So I figured if I went to music school, it might ruin me for music. Yeah. I mean, I went to music school and kind of had to move away from it a little bit. But yeah, we'll, we'll definitely get into the questions of the role of the artist on across multiple media later on in the show. Okay. I'm uh, jumping the last No, one. it's all good. That's all good. Um, good. Give you a little bit of a preview there. So the first question uh, I always like to ask guests here is, how are you enjoying Star Wars? How are you enjoying fandom these days? I know you, you're getting into Kieran Gillen's 2015 Vader comic run. Uh, how else are you? What else are you into these days? Um, my brain is still on the... I, I always like to get facts, right? I didn't do the guitar on the Star Wars intro. Okay, I mixed in the guitar from the solo trailer. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. That's... Uh, but I did have fun composing it to a crescendo, that intro. I'm proud of it. Yeah. But yeah, so Star Wars, uh, as you no, know, last yeah, night I got, no, no worries. Last night I got into the, uh, and I have read quite a few of them, the Vader mm-hmm. comics and this, you know, the new canon stuff. I've read a lot of it and liked it. Um, uh, as we'll get, we'll get into later, I certainly liked Poe's uh, sort of background in the, in the comics as opposed to what they did in Rise of Skywalker. So I'm not big. I hate the, as you know, I don't like the word canon, but that was one change that I didn't like. Uh, So I got into the, that channel. I I don't know what it's called, but they do really well done audio versions of Star Wars comics, Mm -hmm. like fan made. And uh, yeah, I'm getting really into Vader. So I started at Vader 1, 2015 last night. And I 
it went to number three. So I'm going to do the whole Vader series. I'm loving Bad Batch, of course. We can talk more about that in a bit. I, I really love Bad Batch. Like, I'm not. There's two. There's there's like a type of people that that go that want Filoni to be the head of Lucasfilm because they hate Kathleen Kennedy. That's ridiculous. I love Kathleen Kennedy. She's doing a good job. My my support for Dave Filoni is his work speaks for itself, but more importantly, it's because he was trained by the soul who is Star Wars, which is George Lucas. And he was specifically trained to steward the franchise correctly. So Kathleen Kennedy giving him, um, letting him steer the direction creatively like on you know under her her guidance or with Mm -hmm. with her guidance from a business level is an ideal situation to me and uh you i see i think the work speaks for itself Mm -hmm. there's something about bad batch that just really rings true to the core of george's star wars and everyone goes on about like lots of different political things in Star Wars as I'm talking about with Kathleen Kennedy or Mm -hmm. Dave Filoni but I want to get away from the politics and just say this was George's art so what is important to the Mm -hmm. soul of what Star Wars is according to this guy and that's Dave was trained for that reason so bad batch yeah it's going strong yeah anyone who's tuned in to my podcast last week um, how much I, I do really I'm loving that show too. Uh, I think you're, you're referring to a little bit to Dave's uh, quote unquote promotion or just recognition that uh, he he is the creative guru. I think that the well, two has, others have yeah. that creative executive title. Sure. That's John Knoll and Doug Chang, right. two who are both fundamental to the, the what George did from the Phantom Menace on. Like John yeah. Knoll is the guy who figured out how to do the CGI for Phantom Menace. He invented Photoshop with his brother Thomas Knoll. Mm-hmm. I mean, so now you have these three, a triumvirate of creative executives that um like Dave Filoni's not the boss who's <laughs> as people are saying they want Kathleen in, in Kathleen's position. He is from from I saw a, a, a industry person who worked, who's worked in this field with Lucasfilm post online that it just means Dave Filoni is, will be in more rooms mm-hmm. directing ideas. So maybe this means in future movies, he'll be in those rooms too. I mean, if you watch him on the Disney gallery when he's mm-hmm. talking about the faded arc, about the fight with Qui-Gon and Maul for, for Anakin's fate and the fate of the galaxy, you could Favreau was listening to him like a student like there's a real respect there for like we're listening to George mm-hmm. through this guy so and speaking of uh, another brilliant artist having the reins in in the creative direction I, I do want to bring up the Eternals trailer that dropped yesterday um, my mind was blown I, I think your mind was blown uh, do you want to talk a bit more oh you saw my post you saw yeah, my I saw post that. already <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I, I, as you know personally, and I post quite a lot about mm-hmm. this on Facebook for for many years now. That my my obsession has been slowly taken over from Star Wars to uh, ancient civilizations and uh, ancient alien sort of research, and and like there's crazy stuff, but there's a lot 
of facts out there. And there's a lot of sane people who are really well respected in this field who are bringing a lot of information to light. And then, you know, you got to think for yourself what it all means, but there's a lot of information about facts that suggest certain things which I see in this trailer. So for one, one of the big things in ancient civilization, uh, alternative ancient civilization, uh, big fundamental is that a few hundred thousand years ago, like in Samaria, or actually I get bad with numbers. Um, Agriculture started, (laughs) and then maybe it was 20,000. Okay, so agriculture started out of nowhere. Now this is a fact, we have no, evidence of it developing through time and the tools to do it and the knowledge to do it like nothing we invent is out of nowhere Mm. you know the there's so because agriculture and the means to do it just appeared out of nowhere in ancient samaria and mesopotamia mesopotamia which is like turkey um, we have no actual good conclusive reason for how it did so some people theorize that it was alien intervention that taught us that skill and there's a little clip in the in the eternals trailer which is alluding to that right at the beginning right yeah there's also uh, i i think part of the theme i've read is going to be dna and an unexplained part of dna so there's like there's like seven or eight or five or i can't remember the exact Mm -hmm. number of forms of dna in humans and we there's there's missing links mm-hmm. like we don't know where mm-hmm. certain dna comes from in some people so apparently it looks like they're just leaning heavily into alternative civilization stuff and by the way all the franchises have right. like it's not just like all these writers read the prominent people in these fields so george um ridley with aliens everyone mm-hmm. everyone go, goes to to this stuff for sci-fi fantasy ideas I mean, whatever you you think about the the factual basis of this, it's it's definitely intriguing story, opportunity and story fodder. Um, yeah, so it's it, it'll be good to it'll be interesting to see where Marvel goes because it's gonna be so different from everything we've seen. Although, I mean, I think Loki is gonna. The seeds have been dropped the whole yeah, time, by the way. Yeah, there's like the whole alien, like in, in, ever since they in, introduced the alien stuff in That's Avengers, true. they've been dropping the seeds. I mean, Doctor Strange. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, um, Guardians of the Galaxy, like it, it's all there. It's all been there this whole time. Black Panther. That's true. Yeah, with the, with the bass and the vibranium. So yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see if they use Eternals then to bring everything together. Um, so moving along uh, in the interest of time, I do want to get to the main reason why we're, why we're here. F-105 to side B. So uh, we, we will play a song, uh, the, the lead single from that in a, in a minute. But first, I just want to ask F-105 to side B, what's, uh, what's under that title there? Well, I really wanted to um, do something different, you know. <laughs> um, I always find, I hope, hopefully, interesting, cool titles for albums. But with the first F-105 record, uh, it being a jet Mm-hmm. I based the album cover as a homage to uh, Led Zeppelin one mm-hmm. on the self-titled debut of Zeppelin, which had a black and white picture of a Zeppelin on the cover. And then F-105 had 
black and white picture of the Avro Arrow on the cover. Uh, and I even used a red font. Uh, yeah, so it really echoed. And then when I came to this record, I did have it before COVID happened. The album was to be two different sides mm -hmm. because over the last few years, F-105 became not just a band, but when the band didn't want to tour with me to Europe and the States, I just said, okay, we sort of split apart officially mm -hmm. at that point. And I said, I'm going, I'm not being held back by um, this overly domesticated life that the, the band is li living right. living as they get into older age, which they should into yeah. mid-age, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it was like, you know, no judgment there, but I just, I can't stay here. I have to go. I have actually people who are going to help me book shows in London, like Star Wars fans and people to play to. Like, I'm gone. Like, Fanta Tracks helped with that. Yes. Carl and Martin Keeler and... and, uh, and and Mark Newbold, so very thankful for that. Uh, yeah, so it just so happened that, and then I still played shows around Ontario and Toronto with F-105, so then it became the songs that I was developing, there was a handful that were electric band sound and a handful that were acoustic. And then COVID hit, and so uh, I signed with Marilyn and Music, a little label in Toronto, and then I, uh, I couldn't, we couldn't record the band stuff because you're not allowed to get together right so <laughs> and it's not safe <laughs> like not something that i would want to do right. or any of us and uh so mark just said have you ever done you know like uh, why don't we do the acoustic half first because you can come over and stay in an, you know into the studio and be isolated in your own room <laughs> and do the vocals sort of and guitar I use the term loosely live off the floor. It's usually applied to a whole band being recorded live off the floor, but I did the vocals and guitar live off the floor all at once. So I can't really edit or fix stuff and, uh, and did it in one day in one afternoon, mm -hmm. really actually, which is unheard of. No one, no one does that in the world anymore because the technology has made it so easy for people to keep, re-recording and editing and laying things down on top of each other and fixing things it's made people kind of lazy in terms of like your technical abilities so mm -hmm. uh yeah i recorded we and then we didn't like the tone of the guitar basically used for uh i find uh if i were about to die that day so i did come back a few days later and re-recorded that song and i did it in one take I did most of the songs in one take. I played uh, on the sum on the street all summer last summer to be able to get in shape to do that. Yeah, so then it became I had two different titles. So the electric side I wanted to call immovable, and the acoustic side I wanted to call waves. And then when both came out together as one album, I wanted to call it immovable waves. Like the paradox there. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of yeah. Maybe I should have done that. <laughs> Maybe I, mean, I still can when I release it all as one. Um, I guess but, I like the simplicity of 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 that. Just that there's nothing too out there. It's just two side B. Uh, but yeah. Yes. I, <laughs> so well, so when we do side A, mm -hmm. you know, the idea is that that would be released individually, so people who already got side B can go buy mm -hmm. side A right. or listen to it on Spotify, please go to F105 Spotify yes. and follow and listen. There's a service announcement. So, uh, 
and, and then so side so but then at the same time it will be released as one album just mm. f105 two right i like the way that sounds and i like the number two yeah. like i think there's a lot of meaning in in the symbolism of two on the album as well the whole album mm-hmm. i mean that it harkens back to a film that you and i both love namely attack of the clones which is celebrating its its 20th anniversary to me, to my mind that's where my mind goes i don't know if that's where oh that was in that you know that was <laughs> i realized that was part of the appeal yeah. too as i was thinking of yeah. it i was like oh that's what this is so george lucas yes. i'm releasing the second half sure. of the story first mm-hmm. so side b and i'm giving it an episode title like f1052 right. so it's very lucasian in a yes. way and it's confused people. Like I've heard on <laughs> on some podcasts and shows, people say, "Oh, that was Outer Space. I'm coming home from F105's new album, Side B." Right. No, it's F1052 Side B. I don't know how I didn't make that obvious enough right. for people. And I got to say, as a fan of acoustic, I prefer acoustic personally, uh, and and always appreciating when someone can just jump on the tightrope and uh, and walk across the the tightrope there live. Um, I appreciate it. Having heard it, uh, it's definitely, it fits, it holds together as an album, as, as a half album, I should say. Um, related question to all this, you know, where in terms of the lyrical content and the musical content, what do you feel this album means for where your career is at now, given where you've come from and what you've been through? Yeah, I like to think of it more as a vocation mm-hmm. in terms of... Good word, good word. I feel like it's a way of life and I have something to say, mm-hmm. not just by choosing to live this life, which is basically to say I'm not going to play the game that the world told me I have to play, mm-hmm. which is the game of not following your bliss and doing what you're told and finding a normal job. So I chose at a very early age to... Uh, actually, the, I was enrolled in Humber College for graphic design. And when I was 18, I went in and I was there on orientation day and they were talking about business and I went to (laughs) straight to the administration office and I said, can I drop out now and get my money back? (laughs) (laughs) I want to apply to OCAD and be a real artist. Like so arrogant, (laughs) but they gave me my money back and that's what I did. So my decision to go to OCAD was actually not joking. I'm going to be an artist and a musician. So, uh, but the day I graduated, I said, okay, I'm pretty much quitting art. I'm going to do music now. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, yeah, so I made that choice a long time ago that the way I choose to live my life is a statement of what I want to say, which is follow your bliss, mm-hmm. which ends up being we're all one, but we'll get to that later. Yeah. And uh, uh, that's the start and the end. And mm-hmm. then of the hero's journey. And uh yeah, so, and then what I'm trying to say is basically that too, that um, the unity of multiplicity, mul- the unity of multiplicity, why can't I talk this morning? The unity of multiplicity <laughs> that is the universe, that is this galaxy, that is this solar system, that is this planet, that is us, <laughs> that is the blade of grass. It's all one. That's what I'm trying to say. A, a very strong theme through it i mean every every interaction we have that comes out so yeah i like that you talk about a vocation i mean i should i should almost be disappointed with myself for calling it a career 
having someone who having thought a lot about vocation, but um, definitely a, a strong message that you bring through. And so on that note, then let's give this song a listen, Outer Space, Coming Home, F-105 to Side B. inside your soul
space. And welcome back. And that was uh, the song Outer Space coming home from F105 on the album Two Side B, now available on Spotify and wherever you get your music. Uh, I got to ask, first of all, I know you rarely quote lines from Star Wars. You rarely directly refer to Star Wars. You like to be more um, implied, more delving into the themes. And I, I just a bit of a, an aside, the first song I ever heard of yours was uh, Desert Planet. And I remember it being, there's no explicit Star Wars quote in here. And it's not a parody, but it is a Star Wars song. And so I always appreciated that. And yet, here we have, and this isn't a knock, I love this moment, um, in Outer Space Coming Home, the musical quotation at the end of the George Lucas, not George Lucas, John Williams, uh, Luke theme, Star Wars theme on the piano at the very end of this song. Uh, how, how did that little moment come about in the studio, in the creative process? Well, first of all, I like the fact that you point that out about Desert Planet, because back in the day when I did, you know, RFR asked for a theme song, and that's the theme, that was the song that broke me into fandom, like they had mm -hmm. like a few hundred thousand listeners a month, and I literally, when they asked for a theme song, I was like, I can't make you a jingle, I'm going to make you art, I don't know what that would be, and a year later it hit me, why don't I do what George did, and right. <laughs> you rewrote the script to Star Wars with the hero's journey in it as an experiment to see if it's still connected with people. We obviously know that worked sublimely. Uh, so I, I've been studying this all my life. Why don't <laughs> I just rewrite the song I had called First Light, which was similar in theme, mm -hmm. but just rewrite it to the hero's journey and see what happens. And then that was my breakthrough song. Like it gave me a fan base and fandom and also happened to play on mainstream FM and Sirius XM radio for like over a half a decade. So yeah, it works. The hero's journey works. Um, and uh, yeah, what was the question? So about the musical quotation at the end of Outer Space coming home. So, all right. So, but then my decision was, I want to make it feel like Star Wars I don't want to literally talk about anything that happens in Star Wars because mm -hmm. I feel that art works as poetry, especially music. Mm -hmm. I've never liked those those. I've never liked the literal references to like Lord of the Rings mm -hmm. and Zeppelin songs, or I don't like those linear stories of sci-fi that you get from like the Who or Rush. They're great albums, but the stories don't connect to me. Right. I think music works better when you put on the headphones or you put it on your stereo and you become the character in the mm -hmm. music story. So I wanted to do that for Star Wars music. Mm -hmm. And I actually dared to want to do something great. Like George Lucas says, dare to be great. Mm -hmm. It's like, I want to do something that hasn't been done. I'm going to try to do it. I have no idea if it's going to work. <laughs> and uh, it, so when I hear that it worked for someone you know, like you who didn't know me in my story and just heard mm -hmm. the song, and right. you immediately connected to the whole point of the whole thing mm -hmm. on an intellectual level as well. That really makes me so happy to hear. So nothing literal. Right. But the thing about the idea of the main title, which is the legal amount we could use, <laughs> that is just like uh, ice, you know, cherry on the top of the cake at the end of the song. 
um, it's not the whole phrase isn't even used. Sure. Uh, but music, especially orchestral music, like a theme like that, a motif, it works metaphorically. There's nothing literal there in Star Wars as the music or in the song as the music. Mm -hmm. So I think it it doesn't say Luke Skywalker, right. <laughs> Skywalker. You know, like it's uh, it's done. Yeah, it's a universal feeling and a metaphor. Mm -hmm. So there's nothing literal about it. I mean, definitely, there's a feeling of coming home with that theme. That again, you, you mentioned already, it has comes through. I mean, it's in the title, <laughs> coming home, comes through in, in this uh, in this song in this album. You sent me a quote from Joseph Campbell uh, before. Well, I just want to interject on that. For, yeah. To give a shout out to David Collins, yes, who once pointed out on one of his podcasts examining the music of John Williams on mm -hmm. Oxygen, mm -hmm. that John Williams intentionally made the Star Wars uh, theme a hero's journey. Mm -hmm. It actually follows the arc, like da na 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 na. So those are the ups and downs of the trials, mm -hmm. da na na na, and then it ends on the home note, the result. Mm -hmm. yeah, so miniature there, yeah, it's a good point. We're talk. We riff on that at the end of the song. Yeah, yeah. And so the the Campbell quote fits into that it is this thing of of departure, but then the point being return. So there's two parts to this quote. Every hero returns returns to show their community, and then every hero returns to show their community they are one. Yeah, so, that's um, that's paraphrased. Okay. It almost is paraphrased word for word. I just couldn't find the exact quote. Okay. But if you read a hero with a thousand faces, he pretty much uh, repeats that sentiment mm -hmm. about a hundred times so that you don't miss it. Yeah. But guess what? Everyone misses it. Yeah. And they uh, think the hero the hero's journey is just a PDF to write your book to. Uh, or they think, and I'm 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 glad I'm the only one allowed to to use this phrase with you because I use it completely. Uh, sarcastically they think it's about igniting the green <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know? yeah i mean i mean all all, all that is even D dave filoni talks about it all that is part of the fun of storytelling sure. you know it is about oh God. <laughs> sorry it is about it is it is about the fun and the effects yeah. and the adventure and the crazy fantastical things that could happen you know whether it was the homer's odyssey or star mm -hmm. wars but the biggest point or even the stuff in the bible there's a lot of mm -hmm. you know uh but the biggest point is what is it all for mm -hmm. and campbell definitely has some definitive views on that and he repeats them all the time like any spiritual writer they repeat the message that sh is the one that they want don't want people to miss so uh, here's another way he wrote that um, mm -hmm. from page 40 of Hero with a Thousand Faces. The great deed of the supreme hero is to come to the knowledge of this unity and mul multiplicity and then to make it known. Mm -hmm. So that's another way of saying return to the community and show them they're one. Right. The great deed is to come to the knowledge of unity and multiplicity and then to make it known. Mm -hmm. So then go, for, go into that, um, especially in light of uh, outer space coming home, but I mean, something you've really 
latched onto and, and found a lot of resonance with is this theme of finding oneness, unity, commonality in the song you, you talk about, and and also your, your help from your, your brother in, in crafting it. You both talk about uh, our just our biological connection with being outer space and. Uh, which is why i loved where george was going because george has been reading all this stuff too and Mm -hmm. the biology like this is a scientific fact Mm -hmm. you know einstein was the first to really you know einstein says everything is one matter is not unconnected this is the nature of the universe you understand this you understand the mystery it's still a mystery Mm -hmm. of how that happened (laughs) Uh, but there are answers that help you discover layers of that mystery deeper and deeper if you get into this stuff. But um, like it's Christianity, it's Buddhism, it's Hinduism, it's the native myths. (laughs) It's every single spiritual tradition that has ever existed. Um, Like I have a quote for, you know, for this show is called for Christ's sake, Anakin. So I I wanted to bring up a quote that Joseph Campbell uses from Saint Simeon, who lived, mm-hmm. uh, who lived in the later later part of the first millennium A.D., for the one who has become many remains the one undivided, but each part is all of Christ. And then Christ Himself says, "You are in Me, and I am in the Father, and together we are one." Like mm-hmm. <laughs> this is, according to the the prophets and the great spiritual teachers or great spiritual messengers of all time and science since Einstein mm-hmm. is that everything is one. It's not just like, Oh, let's, it, it this is, this is serious stuff. It's, it's like, like this it up, actually, right? <laughs> this is actually the nature of existence, mm-hmm. you know? And then, so a big message of all my work, um, with music and it started in my earliest albums uh has been this basically this message that that i'm not saying anything blasphemous this is what christ said we're this is what einstein said this is like we're all one we're all part of god so did it not say ye are gods Mm -hmm. jesus quoting you know the old testament like if everything is god then you would endeavor to treat everything like sacred and oneness like i had the line in the soul song over the wall like if life were god you couldn't kill life in god's name and his name and her name mm-hmm. uh if i was writing it now i would add in their name right in I mean, our name yeah and, and you touch on all, all these political issues that uh you're talking about gender and talking about um even conflict in in middle east and uh, throughout even in you know in the united states and uh all the you know the political strife that happens when we can't see the common humanity in front of us uh, can you say more about or the actual literal oneness sorry oh yeah, yeah, the question? yeah. sorry yeah no go ahead. i'm just well just or to say i mean the way i prefer to put it then is similar to what how obi-wan or is it qui-gon who says to the gungans the symbiosis that we we share a an identity as a species as matter as you know what, what the judeo christian tradition would call creation yeah we share um, you know this this 
common system and reality. Uh, I mean, we can we could go into we could parse you know questions of diversity or particularity and commonality and unity. Um, I think. What, well, that's just of, God knowing different parts of who God is. Right, and <laughs> and so I mean, one of the things I'd say is you know you, you've you've picked up on on the the commonality unity part because in the modern world we've done too much and probably a lot of damage in making too much distinctions and hierarchies. So uh, if you get, I mean, well, this you, happened after Sumeria, you know, right. tens of thousands of years ago. We still live in that same world where <laughs> it became part where philosophy and the, the ideas that mm-hmm. the ideas that form us, uh, I'm going to segue into a George Lucas quote from myths, mm-hmm. uh, a separation mythology happened a long time ago. And um, I'm not going to get too much heated into that because um, <laughs> I don't want to get into a debate or challenge anyone's beliefs, but um, well, actually I do like to do that. Just, <laughs> I don't want to do that here. Um, it, it's, it's that, is that, uh, that sorry what was it? what was the question uh, just talk about you know the going to the the power of oneness unity commonality uh in the face of this really i mean you could call oh it I, I remember what i was gonna say yeah. sorry yeah I, I i don't i i'm sorry for cutting you off but i don't need to i remember what i was gonna say yeah it's neil donald walsh who, who who's who yeah he wrote one of my favorite you know spiritual uh, works, which is the Conversations with God trilogy, and mm-hmm. he comes from a Christian background and values that, and is part of that. But he's also like a new spirituality person, so taking into consideration how the message of of people like Jesus works with what we know about science now. Mm-hmm. And you know, he in his second book, which explores it, it explores how how the ideas affect the real world. He would say basically that all political problems are a spiritual problem. Mm -hmm. Like politics means the many. Politics is just dealing with the concerns of the many. That's the the Greek word. And it's where democracy comes from, to consider the needs of the many. Mm -hmm. So uh, if you're not considering the needs of the many in any way, then you're coming from a place of separate, of being separate from them. Mm -hmm. And this is therefore a spiritual problem because if, if, if enough people we're to be aware, a critical mass, let's say, of the fact that we're one, of the fact that we're one, then less of our politics would manifest in a separated way. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's racism and electing leaders in the states who represent, or anywhere that represent separation from you and someone of a different race, or whether it's Israel-Palestine, or whether it's colonial, colonialist white people and natives in Canada. Um, it's the separation philosophy behind the politics that leads to the actions. Like all the, if you really study the smart, you know, the people who have controlled history for the last tens of thousands of years, they know the secret. And the secret is you control the stories, you control the information, you control the myths, and you control the behavior of people. Mm-hmm. So really, my my art is really a, is a is a battle against that. <laughs> so that's a great segue into you know my next question. Then is what is the role of the artist 
And you, you sent me another quote from the maker himself, George Lucas. And just clarify by artist, I could mean a visual artist or a songwriter or a filmmaker or whoever. I mean, a writer, author. Um, I mean, I even considered sermon writing to be a form of art, even though it's... Sure, of course it is. A You're creating and expressing. Yeah. Um, so the quote from the maker himself, you know, the role of the artist is to find the common threads that make all peoples one. And yeah. especially picking up on this, the, the phrase common threads, how do you see uh, the artist generally? And, and maybe what, what is that? How does that quote speak to you? And then similarly, how do you see F-105 and the souls and your vocation as being finding these common threads? Well, I, I consider my role, I mean, it's interesting that Neil Donald Walsh in his conversation with God ends the trilogy saying, this is your mission mm -hmm. to go out into the world and to do your part to make people aware mm -hmm. of this. And so, okay, that's my mission to do. That's my mission in music to, and he calls it the new myth, you know, and to be a, uh, a messenger of the new myth. So I just want to be an artist who is a part of this movement that has always existed through time, really, to let people, and it's reawakened on this planet now, especially in the past 10 years, mm -hmm. to be a part of the, the new myth. And Joseph Campbell talks about it when he ends The Hero with a Thousand Faces. He said, like, the, new, the next major symbol of mythology should be the one world that the pictures were seeing from space because he was writing like in the 60s and 70s mm -hmm. you know and um so this is the new myth the this this sphere and he talks about the sphere this one sphere that we have and we're all one being and the individuated parts of it on this planet and so that's my job to just uh humbly i think but daring to do it mm -hmm. Uh, to do it with my community and my community in this context happens to be the star Wars fan base mm -hmm. and, you know, uh, listeners on the radio uh, or, you know, college or mainstream or who I go to play to when I tour. So if I could do it, if I can convey this message to a room full of even two or five people, then I feel like I'm doing my part. Um, yeah, in George Lucas's context, I think he he was uh, interested in anthropology and psychology, so that's where he found the hero's journey, and he really showed through Star Wars and the hero's journey that one of the common threads that makes all people one is that we all go through the hero's journey, mm. every one of us, and um, and then what are and he talked about what are the values that bind a society together, and how does the myth show that? Um, what do we agree upon? Uh, and our values of good and wrong and, and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's what I think the role of the artist is, is to define those for their community, whatever it happens to be. Mine's much smaller than George's global <laughs> fan base, but it's the same job. I mean, you mentioned radio before we mentioned Spotify. Uh, I, I talked about various media. I'm beginning to think a lot more about, um, about media and, and and the different media, uh, the very Marshall McLuhan media is the message. Oh yeah, One of the th you know we have Spotify, we have Disney Plus, we have you know you and I happen to be now in the same city, even though we're, we're recording over over the internet. We don't have to be in the same city to have this conversation. We could it could be in other parts of the world. Um, 
you know, a one, you know, the the role of the internet in creating this new myth. It's this funny. is great. Yeah. I'm glad you went here because I don't yeah. think we've ever talked about this before mm-hmm. together, but it's something that I've been on about for a long time, ever since I learned about McLuhan at OCAD mm-hmm. Art College, which is the medium is message. So the message of the internet. Okay, this. Yeah, go for it. Here. Okay, <laughs> I'm going to really go for it. Yeah. Did you know that Marshall McLuhan predicted the internet decades think, before it happened? I think you may have mentioned something about that. Okay. Yeah. So he he basically said, if you look through history, Whenever a, a tiny group of people gather too much power over other people, they do it through a technology. And what will happen is the earth always develops an antithesis, a new technology mm-hmm. that combats that power structure and makes it more democratic and gives power back to more people. Mm-hmm. So he said, in like the 50s, he said, if you and he drew this in his book, he drew uh, one TV, which represented the people who own the TV stations, uh, which is they can fit in your living room, broadcasting to the whole world with arrows going out in one direction. And he drew all these TVs, you know, a bunch of them. So arrows going from the one TV to all the other TVs, which represented the TVs in our houses in the world. And he said, This is. What's happening is the military, the governments, the corporations that control and own these TVs and their stations and the news and the programs are becoming centralized and gaining more, they're gonna gain more and more and more power until they're too powerful based on the technology that they control, which is sending the message out in one direction mm-hmm. from one TV to all the others. And then he drew a second drawing, which had all the TVs interconnected with the messages going back and forth. So he drew that the people that have the TVs in their living rooms aren't gonna be able to broadcast out their message and they're gonna start to have the power of the message again. So he predicted the internet. Especially YouTube and and Spotify and all these. Which is the whole internet. I mean, so this goes back to the hero's journey and this goes back to everything, which is that we live in this globalized world now, which the technology, and it's ironic because the US military invented the internet as an underground system in case they were nuclear bombed, mm-hmm. that they'd be able to communicate underground. Military and government would be able to communicate underground with each other. It's ironic that they created the very technology that would eventually start to take power away from them. It's almost uh, as if uh, I just want to interject. It's almost as if uh, someone read that and then wrote the quote. You know, the the more you tighten your grip, the more star systems slip through your fingers while on wow. the Death Star. <laughs> wow, that is so true. Even metaphorically, that yeah. is so true. That is that actually that is literal. That is, you know, literally is literally used too much these days true. as a word. But that is literally true. Well, it's literally what George is saying. Yeah, moment, yeah. Right? And the Death, the Death Star is applicable to the nukes. And yeah, of course. So so the internet has the, the world and consciousness and people and has developed, as Marshall McLuhan predicted, a way for us to be connected as more connected as one globally than any probably maybe any time in history. And um and uh so the medium is the message. The internet is that we're one. The message of the internet is we are one. 
and I mean, part of that within that then is, is, uh, I mean, the freedom to express that I mean, what we all commonly have uh, the ability to get to log on. I can just, you know, in 2016, start a podcast and, and you know, whoever listens, listens, you can throw it up on the internet. Um, you spoke though of, so there's the freedom to tell the story. You spoke of the role of, of naming our commonality or common threads, our oneness. Which is the values, which is yeah. the psychological experience, which is the hero's journey, which is mm -hmm. the interconnectedness that, that the symbiotic relationships that it's unavoidable. You know, if we pollute the air, we're going to be connected to people in other parts of the world and affecting their lives negatively, mm -hmm. whatever, what have you, any example, what, what one does will affect another. It's unavoidable. COVID is showing us this. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, that's uh, the big for our, in our time going to be one of the big. Examples yeah. Wear a mask life. because we're one, you know, right. exactly. <laughs> or, you know, give, uh, give uh, a living wage and, you know, labor protections and a good healthcare right. system because we're one. <laughs> right, right, right. You know, I mean, yeah, all this, this, these implications. Um, what I, what I hear you saying is, uh, I mean, the, the fundamental tension in The Last Jedi specifically and, and Star Wars as a whole is uh, the, the need, the freedom, the obligation to discern the need in front of you that ray does perfectly wonderfully but to not be bound by or dictated by tradition and yet be uh open to its wisdom right because i mean like you said uh all the great spiritual traditions do name this oneness and it is kind of our modern arrogance and, and a human arrogance to to press for division and too much distinction uh, and, and I, well, I, mean, we're, I would say, i would say we're conditioned to it by the powerful so that they can yes. through separation they can keep the economic mm -hmm. power and the geographical power which is very yeah. night and day it seems it sounds like it's the same thing but it's night and day from the freedom of the artist to tell a new story and to actually express what they're saying what they want to say um can you speak a bit more about about that freedom i think one of the things where this comes up is you know a few weeks ago with the canon question and i'm going to do something strange i'm going to give you the floor and tell me what this was about that was about for you because um you know i i said my piece about that in terms of and this is the small example and it's a small example of of the retcon at the beginning of Bad Batch, but oh, we're going to talk about that. I, okay. Well, I'm bringing it in because my sense for you was it was about the freedom of the artist to tell a new story and the freedom for Dave Filoni to express what he wanted to express in the moment and not well, to be bound by something else. Well, for first of all, the reason why I don't like canon is that we get stuck into this hard mm -hmm. black and white thing of this is true and this is. This isn't in the details right. where 
where heck I, I would, if, if I, if I believe that I would even have problems with the OT and PT because the whole question of Padme and how Leia remembers mm -hmm. her real mother might be like a canon problem, <laughs> depending on the way you look at it. So it's like a fundamental. That, stuff, yeah. Yeah. Like, so that was like, George needed to be free to sort of be able to say, well, this is, I wrote that then and I wasn't sure about the details and now I am now. And there may be some conflict like as in Leia mm -hmm. actually never lived with Padme because Padme died before <laughs> Leia <laughs> when Leo was being born. So is that a canon problem? So um, I've just always overlooked that. And historically, I just, my life, I come from a place where, you know, in the beginning, George Lucas said, well, basically my stuff is, is, is the truth. And then I'm la letting everyone play around in the expanded materials. But that doesn't mean that I don't find truth in the expanded materials. And for me, like Joseph Campbell, the truth is in the metaphors, mm -hmm. is in what it's trying to say to us about the human condition. That's true to me. Mm -hmm. That stuff I feel on an emotional level. And so that is real and true to me. If I feel emotionally moved about something that I feel is true about the human condition in the expanded material, that is true to me. I don't, personally, I don't need canon. So, when it comes to the Bad Batch, when I love the comic, the can can uh, Canaan, I think it was four parts, and yeah, it was it's, it's a short run. Anyway, keep going. <laughs> and it was written by like one of the executive producers of Rebels, mm -hmm. so it was authentic. Do you know the name offhand? I can't remember. Uh, not offhand. No. Yeah. So, someone you know who worked on Rebels. So this, you know, when I when I think about the that comic and then what happened in Bad Batch, it actually seems like the same story to me. Mm -hmm. There's just some different details. <laughs> right. <laughs> so uh, to me, that's mythology. Like mythology has always been retold. And uh, I like what pa Pablo says that the historical, the historical facts are canon. Mm -hmm. You know, this happened and the clones turned on Kanan and they killed that Depo Balaba and Kanan escaped. Those are the historical textbook facts. Mm -hmm. None of those are changed. It's just the details about how that happened. What I like about personally, I liked what Filoni did because for me, he has these characters now, which are the bad batch, which represents the clone. So uh, he's doing something very George Lucas, which Filoni and the Disney gallery called the faded art. Mm -hmm. which was that he's riffing in poetic fashion on the fated arc, which was that Qui-Gon was fighting for the fate of Anakin because Anakin would need a father figure and someone to help him grow up emotionally in tune so that he can then perform his duty as the chosen one and get it right in Palpatine's office, at the end of Revenge of the Sith, and that everything would be balanced and solved there. But it turns out, that Qui-Gon failed, so the fate of Anakin is in jeopardy now because he's going to be raised by Obi-Wan Kenobi, who voiced his dissatisfaction with Qui-Gon reaching out to other life forms in the living force, whether it be Jar Jar or Anakin. And, and, and Obi-Wan had a very condescending attitude towards that. So, so the, the roots of Anakin's training under Obi-Wan started out from a place very different from Qui-Gon, which wasn't 
didn't start from a place of the living force and seeing how all is one and wanting to care for this child and be a father. So this ends up being a problem for Anakin. And then it's part of the reason why he makes the wrong choice and, and is emotionally out of balance in Palpatine's office in, in Revenge of the Sith. So the question is, if Qui-Gon had trained him and was more of a fatherly figure, then he, Anakin may have made the right decision. So then when we get to the end of Return of the Jedi, and this is not me making this up, by the way. This is, um, this is what Dave Filoni said in his Disney Gallery talk, mm -hmm. that the fated arc then brings you to the end of Return of the Jedi, where when Luke is suffering, and it's important to note that Campbell writes, it's compassion for the suffering one that awakens the human heart. Mm -hmm. That's Jesus choosing to suffer, to awaken the hearts of humanity. So um, when, when Luke is suffering, when Luke makes a choice to sacrifice himself like Jesus, I love that I'm on this podcast. Mm -hmm. I could be really open about Go that. <laughs> Vader looks at his son and says, my father figures failed me. Mm -hmm. This is my, and I failed my son in the beginning. This is my way to not fail as a father. Mm -hmm. So what Dave Filoni is doing with Bad Batch to bring this all around for me is, is when Hunter can't help Kanan, it's that same faded arc. He remembers his failure. And then when he meets Omega, he realizes, oh, here's my chance to get it right and not fail with yeah. this lovely young woman and to be a good father. And hopefully the fate of, of her and the galaxy will turn out better in the end if I, if I do this. And that's, I mean, that's what this show is hinging on. And, and as I said last week, the, the most compelling part of the show for me is Hunter and Omega. I mean, there's other stuff that's going on around the galaxy and that's interesting, but yeah, it's yet another um, kind of mentor, younger character or, or uh, parent to a child. Um, that theme that echoes through echoes, that's a pun, <laughs> uh, echoes through flowers <laughs> that, I mean, that's, you talk about values, the human condition, whatever details happen. The well, there's a value there that George is saying before I forget that it's through that it's through these relationships that we have the opportunity to become our highest selves mm -hmm. and our highest relationships and our highest community and our highest world, highest galaxy. Mm -hmm. So that's the value is, is that to take this relationship sacredly and, and to, to do the job the best you can at being a father. Mm -hmm. And of course, at the end of Return of the Jedi, as you mentioned, you know, he Anakin returns, Return of the Jedi returns, and and let's say returns home to Padme in a way. I mean, there a lot of the holy, holy, you just blew my mind. For yeah. some reason, I never put that together. So the title I thought was Luke, but that's yeah. actually Vader return. Why did I never? I, don't know. It, I like to think, think of right. myself as a smart guy, but this is, <laughs> <laughs> this is, uh, thank you for pointing this out. You're you're smarter. You're you're smarter I mean, than me. It works on on all these levels, right? Return of the Jedi, yeah. as in the Jedi Order. Return of the Jedi, Anakin Skywalker. Um, I mean that sincerely. Like yeah, I'm so enough. that's why I love fandom in the community. Yeah. It's like full of so many other thoughtful people like you. Or just I need it to mm -hmm. to have things pointed out to me. 
and I mean, you know, I've appreciated you pointing out the question of oneness and, um, you know, Anakin returning at the end of his hero's journey to restore balance to the galaxy. And himself. And George himself. Lucas has exactly. given many talks where he's explaining that. So that's where it starts. Mm -hmm. If it doesn't start with you internally of becoming one with yourself, even if you believe we're a soul, so your physical being becoming one with your spirit being, mm -hmm. if you are not one on the inside, nothing outside of you will manifest as one. Mm -hmm. So Anakin is becoming one again to himself in that moment and becoming one with himself and his father, his father being inside of him, he becomes one with Luke, one with the mm -hmm. galaxy again, and it goes out from there. Yeah, and I mean, one of the things that the, the when you get into uh, the, the Vader comics, really do a great job of going into this is just how much Padme is a part of him and is, is that light inside of him that is then activated when he sees in response to Luke's suffering. Yeah, there was something yeah. I was going to say about separation earlier. Well, I mean, he was separated uh, from his mother. Yeah, he separated from, he, he literally separated himself from, from Padme when she said, when he made the choice to, to, for this to become Vader, he separated himself from her. So separation is the root of the evil. He separated himself from himself, from the Jedi, from her. And then that separation mentality affected the whole galaxy mm -hmm. after that. But there was something else I was going to say earlier about separation. I missed it. That's right. If he if he comes back to you, you know, let me know. Also, the outer space thing, how it ties yeah. into outer space was, you know, basically we're dealing, just to be clear, we're dealing, the metaphor is outer space. Um, I'm coming home. I'm coming home. We are from outer space. I'm just basically saying that, you know, that as Einstein said, all matter in the universe is one. So mm -hmm. home is all of existence right and so i mean that's to say where anakin returns home to it isn't just that he you know not i mean we have this symbolically in the end of the rise of skywalker where ray returns to luke's homestead but you know anakin he doesn't you know he isn't uh he doesn't go back to naboo or he doesn't go to mustafar or wherever he he's burned and then he becomes the force ghost, the Hayden Christensen force ghost. I mean, that in a way, force ghost, that's the the final return after death. Return home because you become one with all matter and all life in the universe, as George Lucas puts it. Yeah, interesting to say that. Mm -hmm. Interesting, interesting little nuance there that he, he did with that. Mm -hmm. is that and it's it's been it's come from lucas himself and it's been in a lot of expanded materials which is that the netherworld of the force is basically this place of unity where you have no individuality so that is the oneness before it splits into individuated parts that have the illusion of separate but they're still one mm -hmm. but they have individuality to express that individual aspect of the creator or the force or god or whatever you want to call it and what Qui-Gon learned was that I think uh, um, Yoda explains it more in the Matthew Stover Revenge of the Sith novel was is that, and maybe it was oh, also in the Clone Wars, in the, in the Yoda arc, 
that what Qui-Gon learned how to do was to retain, he was on this path to retain his individuality in that oneness. Yeah. Um, which is which is just an interesting take on on how Force Ghosts exist. I've always sort of thought that maybe a cooler ending for the Star Wars saga would have been that the Force Ghosts would have done their job. Mm-hmm. Because as Yoda explains at the end of the Clone Wars, not victory in the Clone Wars, but victory in his arc, mm-hmm. he explains not victory in the Clone Wars, but victory for all time. So so sort of like, once balance is restored to the universe and the forest coast had done their job, I always sort of wanted it to be that maybe they retired <laughs> into the oneness again and that yeah. we didn't need force ghosts to the gray havens, you know? Yeah. Or, or, or to Mortis, like yeah. it would be cool to see like Luke, Luke, Anakin and Leia, like retire as yeah. the new Trinity of force beings on mm-hmm. Mortis. And then they're no longer needed. They've done their job as force ghosts. And the victory of all time is now cemented on this new mortis balanced between the mortis dimension and the universe thing. And then you could start new with Star Wars with no force ghosts and have something different happen. But yeah. You never know. There's always room for more storytelling. We know episode 10 is coming in a few decades. So we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that about wraps it up. But just a, a final point, you know, to say, yeah, Anakin's story and Luke's story and Ray's story at least what we get that that theme of oneness of uh, returning home to pull on these common threads and draw them together that i mean anakin luke and ray are what i call the gravity of the star wars galaxy far far away it's uh fascinating to look at that in this guy's not this guy's this lens of um outer space coming home so thank you for for opening that up to us um, if you have any, do you have any final comments, final thoughts? Um, I just had this quote here because you had just mentioned, oh, I now remember what I was going to say about separation yeah. and the last Jedi that you were yes. talking about how Luke separated himself. And I was like, oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Right. That's the root of the problem, right? Is that he's choosing separation mentality. And you brought it up that Ray had to awaken his sense of oneness with the galaxy again and his role and what he needs to do for that so mm-hmm. again it's the idea before the action that creates the problem the idea of separation which creates the manifested problem in matter which is the galaxy and, and ray helps heal that mm-hmm. so yeah. Yeah, I just wanted to bring up this quote just to throw it out there because it's mind-blowing when people say Ryan Johnson doesn't know Star Wars. Well, <laughs> he knows the DNA of Star Wars, which is the, the, the hero's journey because he literally put a quote of Campbell from Hero with a Thousand Faces on screen in Luke's first lesson to Ray with the book Blade of Grass. And the quote is, the all is everywhere anywhere may become the great seat of power ray is sitting uh, luke is standing by her any blade of grass may assume in the myth the figure of the savior and conduct the questing wanderer into the sanctum of his or her own heart so it's not time for the jedi to end it's time for the jedi to change and to yes. be more open to 
what the the blade of grass in front of us as... which is the all is everywhere yeah. and that's exactly what luke is teaching her that the that the all is doesn't belong to just the jedi it's amazing it's such true true so true to what star wars is which is the hero's journey so that seems to me a great time to wrap it up um again then thanks thanks so much for for coming on and sharing your thoughts and sharing your art your music uh where can people find you on social media where can they find you online well thank you too because i i'm really grateful for an opportunity like this to to communicate clearly uh, all this stuff that i've really put a lot of work into for decades for exactly how what I'm doing with communicating this message and to be able to like go into detail about how it's actually done and why it makes logical sense um, is always a real pleasure for me. And I'm, I'm really just thankful to be able to, to do that. And uh, go to f105music.com for all info, all links, you know, whether it's to you know, the Spotify link or an Apple music link to listen to the new album F105, Five two side B. Please go to Spotify and follow us there. Uh, and the F one hundred five handle is at F one hundred five Music, and that's Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud, all the social networks. And you can give me a follow on Twitter at NUG four eighty five, on Instagram at MNUG eleven thirty eight, and if you'd like to follow my churchy blog, it's luminous beingscom and they're starting to update things a little more frequently now, too. So this has been episode 79 of For Christ's Sake, Anakin. Thanks for listening, and may the Force be with you, always. <laughs>